Our scripture reading for today is from Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as they had need. This is one of our sacred stories. Thanks be to God. I used to hear this story as a challenge. The modern church falling so short of the bar set by the early church. We would never dream of sharing literally everything in common like they did. So what does that say about us and the idolatry of our individualism? How might the radical community of the early church call us to deeper discipleship? But this year, I read the story very differently. I did not read it as a challenge or as an indictment of where we are failing to live as true community with each other. This year, I read it as a story of encouragement about what we get right. Because it's not like the early church was all butterflies and roses. You may remember they dealt with quite a bit of conflict Paul and Barnabas, for example, just could not seem to reconcile their differences. Also, it was so hard for the early church to figure out whether or not those Gentiles needed to be circumcised or whether they could get a pass. Furthermore, something really bizarre and disturbing happens with Ananias and Sapphira not too long after this happy passage. So today's story represents one of those miraculous times when Despite all that plagued them, the church blessedly got something right so that there was no needy person among them. This, I think, is the real early church. Not some idyllic community where everyone shared gracefully all the time and no one ever quarreled. Just like today's church, the early church struggled to learn what it meant to really follow in Christ's footsteps. And sometimes they didn't quite get it right, and sometimes they got it flat wrong. But sometimes they caught a glimpse of what was possible when Christ truly was their center. And what they witnessed in those moments was sheer grace and beloved community. In my years of providing pastoral care to God's people, three distinct and memorable times in my life, The roles have flipped, and the church has pastored me. The first time, I was still just a seminary student when my family experienced a tragedy. My younger sister's boyfriend and our dear family friend, Andrew Brooks, sustained a serious head injury that left him in a coma for two weeks before he passed away the day after Thanksgiving 2007. 
Those two weeks in the hospital waiting room were like nothing I had ever experienced. We practically lived there, Andrew's family and friends, sometimes staying through the night depending on the latest news about Andrew's condition, sleeping on the ground between waiting room, uh, waiting room chairs in a room whose lights remained on at all hours and could not be shut off. People flocked to the hospital bringing food, hugs, prayers. Andrew's church was small, but God's people came from all over. I remember one night the hallway being lined with what felt like a hundred people, all there for Andrew. I remember, I remember never thinking about a meal. Mealtime would arrive and somehow so would the food. I remember singing hymns with the whole waiting room when we received a good progress report. I remember also singing hymns around his bedside when the hemorrhaging in his brain was so severe we knew there was no longer any hope. I remember the awful pain on my sister's face, and I remember holding her when she cried. We refer to the experience afterward as the waiting room, and we didn't mean the room or the location. We meant the profound experience of community forged by tragedy, the intimacy of a shared trauma and loss, and the comfort of each other's company. I remember thinking, oh, so this is church. The second time this happened to me, I was already a pastor, tasked with caring for the people in my congregation in San Antonio. I had only been at it for a year when suddenly I found myself in crisis as my marriage disintegrated in public view. I didn't know what to do or how to pastor, so the people pastored me. Two different congregants gave me keys to their house, told me I could come in the middle of the night if I ever felt unsafe. I did, in fact, have to come in the middle of the night, humiliated and embarrassed. But they offered me a hospitality that set me at ease and made it okay to need help. Okay to be human. I know it is not just pastors who need to be reminded that it is okay to need help. Many of us prefer to be the caretaker. There's less vulnerability in it after all. It's less humbling. Helping is good for the ego. Being helped is a different story. Being helped is good for a different part of you, a wounded, childlike part that mostly you don't want anyone to see. So this isn't a sermon about how you need to do more and help more people, how you ought to give up your possessions to serve the needy. This is a sermon to remind you sometimes you are the needy one, and that's okay. There is no such thing as a church of all givers. There is no such thing as a community of all caretakers. Every person in every real community will someday be in need of care. And today that someone might be you. It was me just last week. Or if I'm honest, it's still me. 
On Good Friday, I had to give away the baby I had hoped to adopt. She was, to me, the most beautiful baby on all the earth. The cutest, the dearest, the best. She was mine, and I loved her. I still love her with all my heart. I think if you had held her, you would understand. Then again, maybe you wouldn't. Maybe to you, she would be just another baby, and not as she was to me, God's greatest little gift. The day I went to court, the day I found out Layla would be moved to live with biological family, Christy Sorrell and my friend Heather came with me, which was a godsend because it didn't occur to me to ask anyone to come. Others offered to come too, my mom, K.A. Vant, Jennifer Warren, but they didn't want to bring a crowd, so they cared for me in other ways. Christy and Heather stayed all afternoon because the hearing took all afternoon. They held me and patted me while I cried. They stayed and stayed all the way to the very end. They walked me to my car. What day will she be moved, they asked. The lawyer said probably Friday, I answered, and then it hit me. Good Friday. I was losing my baby on Good Friday. Sweet Mother Mary, have mercy. And then something else occurred to me for the first time all day. This was about to be Holy Week. I was supposed to come back to work. I'm a pastor. I have a certain responsibility to do Easter. I felt some panic rising. But Christy told me, no, I didn't need to work. I needed to go home and be with Layla. With hours of leaving court, the chair of deacons emailed me to say the same thing as Christy did. Charlene wrote to say she agreed and she was in a good place to get everything taken care of for Holy Week. Then Patty Field came by. She had made a quilt for Layla with her name on it and wanted it to go with her when she was moved. Patty told me not to worry about Easter. Jesus is already risen, she told me. Sunday is just an arbitrary date picked by some old men somewhere, she said. <laughs> I finally concluded that the resurrection would survive without me. <laughs> that it was okay to be human and that it was okay to need help. Of course, it wasn't just this last week, but the whole month that I'd been churched. I hadn't had to cook my own food since the end of February, true story. When we thought Layla was here to stay, and when, she, we thought she was, or when we knew she was leaving, all along the way, I had a church. It wasn't just Lakeshore, either. It was bigger than that. It was Mary Alice Birdwhistle checking on me regularly. It was my congregation in San Antonio who first sent baby gifts and then later condolences. It was the NICU nurses who made a forever impression on my life. It was my mom cleaning my house, taking night shifts with Layla, giving me upon Layla's departure a ring with Layla's birthstone in it because birthstone rings are a long-standing tradition in my family. It was my dad driving down in the middle of tax season to meet his granddaughter and not wanting to leave. It was my friend Cheryl making me a photo book of Layla pictures. 
It was my mom's acquaintance who texted her to say that her Bible study group decided they will commit to praying for Layla for the next 18 years. I was being held and carried by the church universal, and so was Layla. It turns out I didn't need the people of the church to give up all of their possessions or share everything in common in order to experience true community. But I did need to open my heart and let people in to my vulnerable moments. Now, I'm not saying we're totally off the hook regarding this passage, that we don't have to examine our sharing practices and our wealth is safe from the intrusion of the gospel. But I am saying that sometimes, even in today's world, the church gets it right. Even in our greedy, consumerist culture, sometimes the church is remarkably generous to you. And so today, this Sunday of Eastertide, I want to dwell not in the challenge of what we have yet to achieve as a community or as a church. There's plenty of time for those talks later. Today I want to give thanks for what we have and for what we've been given. Because for all the struggles and shortcomings that are ours to claim, we sometimes catch a glimpse of that sheer grace that is also and always ours for the taking. Thanks be to God for the church. May we be open not only to give, but also to receive. Hallelujah. Amen.